If you say something like really loud, I should be able to pick it up for my headphones because I'm wearing uh, headphones that I can hear myself with. Okay. Ah! <laughs> I picked up something. I don't know if it was loud enough to hear, but. Oh, you're deaf now. A little bit. <laughs> okay. Well, it was your idea. Just remember. Yeah. Well, well hopefully that'll work. <laughs> It's the neighbor's revenge. <laughs> yeah. Hello and welcome to this sub-series of I Hate Your Movie, which I'm gonna call Dan's Weird Closet Picks. <laughs> welcome to Dan's Weird Closet. I'm I'm inside Dan's closet. I'm not Rick. We have Emily in my weird closet. Hello. The lock is thrown away. Oh no. <laughs> At least there's coffee and donuts uh, in here. So basically, the story goes, I tried to make Rick watch Twin Peaks. And he hated it so much that he couldn't commit to it. Typical. Yeah. Rig behavior. A rickism. There's a lot of stuff on Twin Peaks online. I was very curious to introduce someone new to Twin Peaks. Yeah. Because it has like a large cult following who, you know, already very deep in the series. And I was interested in kind of your perspective as, as a person who lives there. <laughs> yeah. Like pretty much in Twin Peaks. Pretty much. And uh, maybe have some sort of perspective of... Uh, Americana, small town life. Yeah, so I didn't really grow up in that small of a town because I was born and raised in a Navy town, not too, too far from... Because it was shot in Snoqualmie Falls, which is like three hours from my house. It's not that far. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had a lot of experiences in, in towns like that, and it pretty much looks exactly like going into the town of like Glacier, Maple Falls, or anything like that. It's pretty spot on. It still is? Still is, actually. It There are some towns that look exactly like Twin Peaks to this day. It's kind of weird. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to visit, but also I feel bad for those people. I was also interested in, I know you have kind of appreciation for surrealist art. Oh, for sure, yeah. The show doesn't start off super surreal. It tries to play it straight for the at least the pilot episode. So I could see why someone might go, Ew, I don't like this. Why is the acting bad? Why do they sound like a, an Oblivion character? <laughs> But as soon as you hit like episode two, and especially episode three, yeah, the surreal stuff really kicks in. And then you start noticing like, okay, these scenes aren't supposed to be like looked at straight. That's not supposed to be like a, a strict, like they're having a conversation. Like if we want to get into to spoilers, there's a scene with Dr. Jacoby, the crazy therapist, and he's uh, being interviewed by Cooper, the protagonist. And the entire time he's doing like magic tricks and he's got the two colored glasses on and he's already shown as like eccentric, but him doing those magic tricks and deflecting away from Tibet and talking about Hawaii because there's a big picture of the map of Tibet on the wall. Yeah. Uh, and so he's, he's like deflecting and not telling Cooper the whole truth. The, the magic tricks kind of tell the audience like, hey, don't trust this character. He's He's got something up his sleeve. I wrote down that this show could only happen in the 90s where mm. uh, soap operas were popular and autism was undiagnosed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, <laughs> like, I never knew anyone that watched Twin Peaks back in the day. I was aware of it. I mean, like, I was literally a baby when I came out. But um, mm. growing up, I was aware of the show. But everyone in my family watched some kind of soap opera. I think my mom watched Days of Our Lives. 
I used to watch a lot of soap operas because in Hungary I was ill a lot of the times mm. in my school days. And when you're ill and during the daytime they play nothing but soap operas in Hungary. Oh God. I've watched so many of those. <laughs> I immediately got that this is like supposed to be a parody of that. Oh, for sure. And it, it gets pretty like on the nose with the scenes with Invitation to Love, which oh, yeah. I, I love the fake in-world soap opera. It's so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, you're, you're, you showed up and now you're going to shoot me. But turns out I'm going to shoot you instead. It, it clearly mirrors of what's happening uh, on the show, but more comical oh yeah like later in in season one there's a scene where bobby and leo confront each other and leo is about to kill bobby but then he gets shot through the window and then like there's an invitation to love scene happening where one character is getting shot (laughs) yeah so if you didn't get it from the overacting yeah and the sappy music this is a parody of a surprise as a first time twin peaks watcher yeah so This is technically not my first time. I did try to watch it once when I was like 20, but I didn't even get through the first episode. I was much like Rick, where I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. The acting is bad. What is happening? Why is anything at all? Just why is? You need a bit of perspective on it, I think. Yeah, I I needed to to kind of refine my tastes a little bit. And and once you get past the, the initial like, okay, they're bad acting on purpose, or at least the choice to have bad acting is on purpose. Some of the actors are just not good. I don't know. I don't know where the line is between overacting and bad acting. Yeah. Like overacting on purpose and bad acting. I would just call it overacting okay, on purpose. Yeah. yeah. I, I love all the actors. I think they do a wonderful job with some of the weirdest dialogue you can imagine. Oh, for sure. Longest of monologues. Yeah. Like uh, uh, Kyle McLaughlin fabulous perfect like he is perfect for that role wait a minute wait a minute you know this is excuse me a damn fine cup of coffee i've had i can't tell you how many cups of coffee in my life and this this is one of the best now i'd like two eggs over hard i know don't tell me it's hard on the arteries but old habits die hard just about as hard as i want those eggs i love him just in general. Yeah. He's my favorite protagonist in anything. Oh, for sure. I love that he's like constantly positive and nothing can break him. Yeah, he's like the perfect optimist. And quite frankly, more TV shows need a Cooper-like character. Yeah. Emily, you have a special shop. Uh, you're, you're doing a little uh, backwards speech. Obviously, I said that, Emily, you have a pixel art shop. Yeah, I, I do. So, you made a sticker just this episode we did. I did. It is a Twin Peaks coffee cup. And I love the design. Thank you. Make sure you check out Emily's Etsy shop. She's got some great sticker designs there. Yeah, yes. I'm a pixel artist by trade, I guess, at this point. And I design my own stickers. I print them off in-house, like literally in my house. And then I cut them. And then I put them on Etsy for sale. I love it. And Twin Peaks is always a winner with me. So Oh yeah. I'm going to buy some. It's damn fine. So make sure you check it out. It, a link is in the description. And the design is on the thumbnail. So you can get a little sneak preview. Yeah, if you like it, buy it. If you don't like it, buy it anyway. Buy my stuff. Give me your money.
<laughs> if you like it and don't have money, share it. Yeah, exactly. And I have a ton of different designs that are, are inspired by various different things. One of them just made a sale. I love Tetris, where it's like instead of the heart, it's a Tetris, Tetromino, I think is the term. A little Tetris piece. Pokemon? Yeah, I do. I actually have a, a Magikarp that's been cut up like a sushi. I have some cyberpunk designs. I just released a tattoo-inspired Eye of the Storm design. Just general nerdy stuff. So check out the shop. Link in the description. The Pixel Zone. Yeah, if you just Google the Pixel Zone or if you put it in an Etsy search, it should pop up. That 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 that's an ad reel. <laughs> Do it. This this was my my first real viewing, I guess, and it, it is definitely like if you're not into surreal stuff, if you're not into parody that isn't like kind of Simpsons funny, more of like a, a, a dry sense of humor, it's not going to be for you. Where I'm at right now, this was perfect. Uh, it was very, very much a breath of fresh air. I enjoyed it. I cannot wait to uh, start season two and three. Oh boy. I, I, yeah. I've, We're going to have some bumps. Yeah, I've heard some stuff about the back half of, of season two, but I can sit yeah. through with some rough television. I've seen worse. If we want to jump into a ongoing joke I was having throughout the show, I don't know if you guys have Ben and Jerry's ice cream over there. We do, yeah. Okay, so I started making Ben and Jerry's jokes based off of Ben and Jerry in the Lodge. Mm. And I can read some of them for you. Ben and Jerry's Creepy Pervy Evil Ice Cream Lodge. Ben and Jerry's Icelandic Sex Cream. <laughs> ben and Jerry's Fudgy Wudgy Murder Pint. My favorite, the last one, and I came up with this like literally as the, the last episode was wrapping up, Ben and Jerry's Maple Incest. Minor, yeah, that makes sense. Minor spoilers for, for Audrey's uh, character arc. I mean... It hasn't happened yet. It, it's just a, it's just a, a cliffhanger. Yeah, it, it, it'll happen next season, but it's pretty much like... In, will in, it happen? Yeah, will it happen? Will she escape? Uh, how is this awkward situation going to play out? Twin Peaks has a... All seasons have a kind of tradition to shove as many cliffhangers as possible... Yeah. At the end of the last episode, and that happens in every season. <laughs> Just because they were afraid of cancellation. Yeah. Although, at this point, the show was very popular. Like, extremely popular. Yeah. This was, like, the quickest fad in pop culture before Pokemon Go. Well, yeah, like you said, it was, like, right at the peak of, of soap opera, at least in Western culture. It, the, peaks. The, the, the twin peaks of, <laughs> of soap operas, if you will. People love the mystery of uh, who killed Laura Palmer. Yeah. Which, uh, do you know? Slash, do you have any guesses? So, they don't tell in season one, obviously. But I kind of have a few guesses. I know it's mm -hmm. not Jacoby. Because they basically plainly tell you it's not Dr. Jacoby. Yeah. It's, it's very red herringy. Yeah. And also the, the rock tossing scene. We can get into that soon. Oh, God. Yeah. The rock tossing scene is fucking brilliant. I love it. But when he uh, says Dr. Jacoby's name, it kind of hits the stump that the bottle's sitting on and the bottle falls over. But he doesn't hit it directly. So it's not like... He's directly involved, but he's definitely aware of who did, and he knows what's going on and why it's happening, etc. Mm -hmm. But I have two people in mind that I think probably did it. I'm going to say that her 
father, Leland, is a suspect mm-hmm. just because the back half of season one, he is just falling apart and constantly like crying. He has that weird, sad, lonely dance at the lodge. Yeah. <laughs> Which kind of mirrors Audrey's dance a little bit, but not really. Well, he lost his uh, daughter. I, and yeah, and that's that's why I, I think he's... Well, one, I think that's a very realistic reaction to losing your daughter. The most realistic thing in this entire show, oddly enough. But I think mm. that's why he's a suspect, is because he's so broken up. But everyone else is, like, bummed out, but not, like, that sad. Like, not even mm-hmm. uh, uh, her mother, Sarah, I think. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of bad with names. Yeah, it's her. Yeah, and then I think Ben might have been directly involved with uh, Laura's death. But like I said, th- those are just mm. guesses. Uh, it's interesting. We'll uh, revisit these guesses next time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had minor spoilers. I still don't know who it is, but in preparation for like condensing my notes, I accidentally saw like in a Google search... Um, that it is revealed in season two, but yeah. I didn't see exactly who. And I was like, okay, no, I need to not Google search Twin Peaks because this is going to ruin my experience. Yeah, coincidentally, that's when season two just drops like a fucking stone. Yeah. They make David Lynch reveal and then they fire him and then <laughs> they had no idea what to do next. And that's going to be very clear. But. He does come back for the last episode, and it kind of uh, redeems itself. Well, that's good, because, like, yeah, this is his baby. This is clearly, like, a David Lynch idea. He knows exactly what he wants. He knows exactly how he wants to shoot scenes. And, and by the way, the camera work is beautiful throughout the entire first season. There's a few shots that feel like a, a Resident Evil game, like a classic 90s Resident Evil game, where you, as the audience, only see the barest minimum of the scene you need and a character will just walk by and then walk into a room you don't see what they see and then they walk right out and then they reveal what they saw and then the audience is allowed to know and so it's just like there's a lot of good tension the first scene that really kind of caught my eye is when cooper has the town together and he's talking about how there needs to be curfew uh, we're, you know, doing manhunt, this and that. And then right as he, like, that scene ends, it transitions to a stoplight that has a green light, and then it goes to a yellow, and then it goes to a red, and it just kind of holds there. And then it goes mm-hmm. to the next. So it's just like, it's David Lynch communicating visually and not just through the dialogue. Even though characters talk kind of nonstop, <laughs> it is very show, don't tell. Oh, exactly. And, like, half the time, what the characters are saying has almost nothing to do with the plot, like, at all. <laughs> it has yeah. everything to do with the character and, and developing them as a character so the audience understands them, but it doesn't actually further the plot. What you see furthers the plot. Yeah. I mean, there's a few scenes where there's, like, some exposition dumps, like when Albert is talking about Laura's autopsy. Yeah. And, and then there's the dressing down of Albert. I thought that was really funny. What I like about all the characters is that none of them... Even though it's played up so hard, even the mustache-twirling villains have some humanity in them. Yeah. Like, think of the worst character, which is probably Ben Horn. Oh. Like, the morally... Yeah. Most morally dark character. He has a scene where he's arguing with Albert that he should let Laura, you know, rest Mm -hmm. and stuff. Nice little human moment from him. And he, he does seem to care about Audrey, like, a little... I mean, like... 
he has that classic like oh i don't care and you know you're just a fuck up and this and that but like there is a moment where they have a heart to heart and he realizes audrey just wants to please him and he's like oh mm -hmm. okay yeah i get it you can have a job yeah same with uh bobby who's one of my favorite characters mm. because when you first see him he's kind of like this bully yeah and then later on when he has that session with Dr. Jacoby. Oh, yeah. He, he breaks down in tears and it's like he reveals that he's just Laura was using him to get drugs. Yeah. God, every time I see Ed, I feel so bad for him. <laughs> because of the relationship? Yeah, because his relationship with Nadine. And it's just like, I also feel bad for Nadine. She clearly lost a few marbles at some point, And she needs someone to love and take care of her. And, and Ed is like stuck in this relationship he doesn't want. And then eventually he's like, you know what, Norma, I like you, but I have a wife and I need to take care of her and she needs me. And that's more important right now. And then like an episode later, Nadine takes her life and it's just like, oh my God, Ed, you just cannot get a break. You poor dude. <laughs> and then now Hank is out and he's going to come kill you. Like, what the fuck? He also loses in blackjack. <laughs> he loses taxpayer money in blackjack. <laughs> I don't know. When, when Cooper shows up with the 10 grand, he's just like, I always show up with the Bureau's money or whatever he says exactly. I can't remember, but he just, yeah. he just shows up with a wand. He's like, you go, Ed, here's like 300. Yeah. <laughs> Tax money at work. Yeah. I, I have this on my notes. I need to say it. Even in the intro, the opening scenes, it's like all the credits kind of pans through the valley and stuff like that. And it's all Snoqualmie Valley. The, exactly what it looks like. It looks like that everywhere up here. Mm -hmm. But even the rivers, like, you'd think that's just, like, a filter to make it look brown. No, that is what our rivers look like. They are that brown. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They're very silty. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you're up on the, the mountains, it's very crisp, very clear, super tasty glacial water. But by the time you get down to one of those valleys, it is, like, poop water. It's, <laughs> don't swim in our mm -hmm. rivers. Honestly, ever since I saw this TV show, you know, a lot of people want to go to America, like New York, yeah. California, San Diego, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, the, the classics. I don't give a shit about any of those. I want to go to, <laughs> I want to go to Twin Peaks. I want to go to Snoqualmie. It's, uh, yeah, it's beautiful up here. I'm more interested in the nature. My favorite thing in the pilot is that Laura dies. Pete Martel discovers Laura hey. wrapped in plastic, which is a famous line. I think there was a Twin Peaks magazine called Wrapped in Plastic. Okay. And for a long time, everyone exchanging information, the sheriff, Ben Horn, and no one says Laura is dead. Everyone's just kind of saying, oh, there's a problem. Or they're saying, it's Laura. And they like immediately get it. Oh, okay. And I love that for the mystery because that kind of suggests that every Yvonne could be the murderer. Everyone just instantly understands that Laura was into some weird shit and there was a potential that she could die. So that makes everyone the suspect. Yeah, I didn't catch on to that. But now that you say that, that definitely is true because it's almost like they're distant from it. Like they know what's happening, mm -hmm. but they don't want to directly involve themselves because the moment you say Laura is dead, you might actually put yourself in onto the board, so to speak. Yeah. So, so they're being like overly cautious about like talking about her not being alive. Yeah, it's almost like superstitious maybe. Yeah, a little bit. The first person who says it is Sarah. And that's like near middle of the episode. Mm. The first one, which is a long episode. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, it went through like six, seven other people before then without saying Laura is dead. <laughs> yeah. I just really like that. This show just has a lot of those little touches where it's like if you're paying attention or if you want to rewatch it, you're rewarded for like those little details that kind of pop up. We had a little chat and there was one thing that you said before the big dream sequence in episode three. There's not many weird things that happen. Yeah. Are you sure about that? Okay, so... Are you sure about the, the, that? I mean, like, the, there are a lot of weird things. If you're if you're talking about in relation to real life or other shows, there's a ton of weird things. There's also the scene where it's not a love triangle, it's a love rhombus. <laughs> Episode title. Yeah, it's... um. <laughs> Because, like, every time in my notes, I got tired of, like, writing Donna, James, Bobby, and Mike. Like, I, could, I just kept writing the- f- And Laura. And Laura. And then, like, Laura's cousin. And then Jacoby. And it's just like, you know what? No, 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 no. Love <laughs> rhombus. That's that's all I need. So the love rhombus goes out to bury the locket. And while they're out there, there is a random dude in the woods with a mask. The love rhombus doesn't notice, but the audience does. And it's just like, Mm. is that person really there? Or is that a hallucination for the audience? Or is that a ghost? Or like, what's going on? And I think it was actually Dr. Jacoby because it it is revealed like the next episode that he is the one who took the locket from where they buried it. Yeah, I think that was pretty clear. That was him. Yeah, but there's like, there's a few moments like that, especially in the the first two episodes where it's just like, it's almost into that kind of like surrealism that the dream is. Because the dream sequence is like the most surreal part of season one. What about things like when they're in a high school and this is in a pilot? Oh, there's two weird things that happen that I I love. Are you going to bring up the kid that electric slides behind the one girl? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I wrote wrote it down like he does the wave by himself. Yeah, he just like fucking slides by like... Uh, up until that point he, he looks in the camera as well yeah up until that point i was just like okay and it shows I, I understand what's going on with the show and the kid does the slide looks straight into the camera and i'm just like <laughs> i just bust up laughing like and now i <laughs> i get the show i get it i understand what's happening yeah <laughs> and there's the girl who runs out screaming just before they announce laura's death on the oh yeah in the high school i forgot about Spoiler that alert. You'll never find out what that was. <laughs> she just runs out screaming. <laughs> yeah. I guess that just maybe also goes to the point that like everyone kind of knew yeah. what was going to happen. Yeah. Because like, as they're making the announcement, both Bobby and... I think it's Bobby or is it James and uh, Donna? I know Donna's the one who uh, directly reacts to it. And she starts reacting as soon as the teacher's kind of stumbling through her words. And then yeah, well, they also look over Laura's empty yeah. desk. Yeah, so they're like, okay, Laura's been up to something not so great. We know that, and then she's probably like got got. Yeah, talking about the love rhombus, <laughs> the, the love dodecahedron. <laughs> um, yeah. I love this show, but teenager love affairs are so fucking annoying. Oh, right. Oh my god. One day, one person. Second day, a different person. Mm -hmm. Everyone's just weaving this complicated relationship web that's never gonna end well. Yeah. (laughs) Like, come on now. Can you not settle with one person? Uh, And and that's kind of like why they do that in the show. is like, because other soap operas or uh, even just regular dramas will like 
oh, well, the teenage daughter is into this guy, but she's really secretly like you know, super into this guy, and then, but she's actually dating this third yeah. person over here. And it's just like the whole point of the love rhombus is to kind of like make fun of like the fleeting nature of like teenage love. And of course, none of yeah. the actors are teenagers. They're all at like, 25. Yeah. <laughs> It's maybe a bit exaggerated, but I wouldn't call it like unrealistic for teenagers. Oh no, no, anyway. no! It's it's pretty real for for that to happen. But like the the way that they handle it in the show is is kind of like hypercharged. Yeah, because you know the killer is gonna be revealed. Yeah, this was the whole idea of Lynch and Mark Frost, who we shouldn't miss out. Yeah, yeah, because he's a co-creator. And he has a big hand in this. This was their idea that the killer will never be revealed. And because of this investigation, we kind of get to know everyone in the town and their little dark secrets. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to be like this drama show. And it's a good way to jump from character to character like that. Everyone has a relationship with someone pretty much. And it's, it's a good way to introduce new characters as well. Yeah. I didn't know that until after I watched season one that it gets revealed, which is, I guess, kind of nice while I was watching season one. But I got that feeling of, like, is this never going to tell us, like, who the actual killer is? And I was kind of hoping that yeah. that's what would happen. Uh, and I'm kind of glad that that was the original intention, in fact, because I think that makes the show better. Yeah, it's weird, right? Because how David Lynch describes it is, like, uh, you have this goose laying golden eggs mm -hmm. and the goose is like the mystery yeah and the golden eggs is like the story and i think that's a perfect encapsulation of what's happening exactly like you said you could always bring in extra characters you can always dive more into like dark pasts of these other characters uh you can mix up uh, relationships you know, maybe after yeah. Nadine passes away, Ed kind of tries to go after Norma again, but Hank is out of prison, so that there's like that drama that can come from that. Hank, I love Hank. He's the most true to soap opera character. Exactly. He's sucking on his domino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, he looks menacingly. He looks weirdly like Brian Cranston. Really? I didn't get that. Anytime he was on screen, I was just like, hey, look, it's not Brian Cranston. Okay. Um, I didn't get that. But. He's a good actor. I think he, he works perfectly for the role. I kind of like that character as a sort of threat to Norma, but not really. He comes off as like he wants to treat her nice. But then in other scenes where they're not together, he's straight up just an evil guy. Like he just wants to murder. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I mean about all the characters have a good mix of good and bad qualities, even the bad ones. <laughs> and maybe Laura is the most mixed character, if anything. Yeah. Because we, we learned some shit about her, which goes into my next point, which is my question to you. Yeah. Was Laura, while she was alive, was she the most busy high schooler you've ever heard of? Like, how many things she had going on in her life? Oh, yeah. She, was... she, had, two... <laughs> she had two boyfriends, a bestie girlfriend, a job at Mills on Wheels, a job at the perfume counter, a prostitution job. A cocaine smuggling job. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I can't imagine myself at 33 doing all that stuff in, like, my entire lifetime. Like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, spoiler alert, that gets even more ridiculous a bit. Because <laughs> <laughs> we learn more things. More things were happening. Good, good. Because it's, it's really funny yeah. that they keep piling on to, like, Oh, she was such a good person. She was doing this, but she's also a really bad person who was also doing this other stuff. And it's just like, is Laura like three different people? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It does feel like that, <laughs> but she kept a diary as well. Yeah, I wouldn't have the fucking time to write diary right now. Yeah, and well, and then she was like recording the tapes for Doctor Jacoby. Oh yeah, she went to therapy as well, just to add to the other things. Yeah. Oh, God, and um, come on. We can get into my long list of Cooperisms because I love, uh, I love Dale Cooper. He's the perfect protagonist. He's like an Ubermensch almost. He's like the perfect man. Yeah, because <laughs> he's like super badass at everything he does, but he's like super polite. He's a caring guy. He's super optimistic. He just wants people to succeed and live happy lives. He doesn't take advantage of an underage girl trying to sleep with uh, him. Oh my god. Briefly, <laughs> I need to bring this up because it's written in my notes. Audrey's last name should be pronounced horny, not horn. <laughs> yeah, everyone's a big horn dog in uh, this. Everyone, but um, Audrey is like, most of my notes are Audrey pervs at Cooper. Audrey pervs at something else. Audrey is perving with someone about Cooper. <laughs> she's a big, she's a big horn dog. Yeah. And a lot of people are. Yeah. It is weird, like, uh, I don't necessarily have a good feeling on 90s American TV, but it is weird how many things they got away with. Showing prostitution, showing mental illness in the 90s. Yeah. Like his uh, his brother. Drug use. It's crazy. I, I think they'd swear a few times. They say bitch and shit, I think. The swearing is what got me. The rest of the stuff is just like, okay... That did kind of pop up on X-Files a little bit. I know that X-Files is a little bit later in the 90s. Uh, not too much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you, there are some shows that kind of delved into that kind of material. But the swearing itself was like, whoa, you could like do that like in 1990? Like what channel was this on? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious how they got away with that. But anyway, Cooper. Yeah. Cooper. <laughs> so, Cooper. Cooperisms. Yeah. So he's whittling the flute in, the, I think, the first couple episodes. He's just, he leans over to Harry, the sheriff. He's like, ask me what I'm whittling and why. And then Harry's just mm -hmm. like, what? What? And then he's just like, come on, ask me. And then he explains, just like, everyone's got to have a hobby. And then uh, there, there's the scene, I think it's in episode three. He walks into his hotel room, does a little, uh, like, uh, tune on his flute. And then does the weirdest salute where he like stamps his foot down and he, he, he it's not like a, a, a normal like American salute where you hit your forehead or something like that. He just kind of like puts the flute next to his head, like across his body. And it was the funniest mm -hmm. thing. And I just like laughed. <laughs> I did not laugh harder at anything other than that, that scene. Cause it's just like, why, why would you do that? <laughs> so weird. Well, talking about laugh out loud moments, I want to talk about the scene. And I think episode three, maybe two. It's it's weird because the pilot is called pilot and episode two is episode one. So this is why I'm getting confused a little bit. <laughs> but I never laughed at anything ever harder than when Cooper is out in the woods and all the sheriffs are around him mm -hmm. and he flips the ball. Oh, he Let me talk about the country of Tibet. <laughs> and I just, I just burst out. I think I had to stop for a minute. Like, I never laughed so hard. I, I think I was out of breath and everything. Yeah. When I first saw that, my mind was blown. It was so funny. It was so hilarious that, all the way through that whole scene. Yeah, that whole scene is brilliant. And, and we let's just talk about it right now. I want to get into more Cooperisms, but that scene is like the perfect scene in the entire show for me. 
Because mm. not only is it like absurdly stupid, like why did you bring everyone out to the middle of the woods to show a diagram <laughs> of, of the, another the country? Of Tibet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, I almost immediately caught on what the writers were doing for that scene, making fun of Sherlock Holmes. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Because the the classic Sherlock Holmes, like I'm going to solve the mystery now. Everyone gather up, and I'm going to explain these things. And typically what he would do is, like, bring up his personal experiences and relate them to how he's solving the murder and this and that. And you see this a lot in cop dramas, at least here in the United States. I'm not sure in other countries. But mm -hmm. there's always that scene where yeah. they explain, like, how they solved the murder or how they're going to solve the murder. And it's typically, like, a bunch of mumbo-jumbo jargon, weird pseudoscience that the writers just vaguely kind of understand they just pull stuff out of their butt and so like having cooper go okay here's my dream about tibet and these tibetan monks <laughs> that have nothing to do with anything and then it reminded me of this other thing where if i say a word at a rock and toss it casually if it hits the bottle we're on the mark <laughs> and it's just like it's so stupid and so like why would you ever do that? And, and who would even believe you? And then the entire time the cops are like writing in their notes like, a, oh, yeah, okay, okay, this is how the FBI does it. Sure. Yeah, that's my favorite <laughs> thing that they take him 100% seriously. Yeah, just... Even though they gave him a few looks, but that's it. Like, <laughs> they treat this whole thing 100% serious. Yeah, like, it's like the most serious, real investigative technique of the planet. And it's just like... Yeah, okay, this is just how <laughs> cops do things over there. And then I love how uh, Lucy is reading a giant book that says Tibet on the front of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a slightly different takeaway, but I like yours as well. Yeah. I thought it was just a soft kind of introduction into the esotericism of this movie. Oh, okay. Which just gets larger and larger and larger. Yeah. And it kind of, I don't remember the exact train of thought that Cooper has. But it kind of made sense in like an intuitive level where he's like jumping from topic to topic, but they kind of all link together Yeah. in a way. Well, we don't want to really jump in with the dwarf dancing yet. Let's just go with this. Let's just explain some esotericism. That's also like another reason why that scene is brilliant. Because like so far there have been like some kind of surreal stuff and very obviously like, okay, this is not how anything works in reality kind of scenes. Mm. But, like, it, things weren't as very surreal or esoteric. And then, like, you just dump this scene on them. And it kind of primes the audience to, to prepare for Cooper's dream. Because he talks about Tibet in his dreams before. He kind of, like, brings up the fact that he has these special dreams to begin with. So it kind of primes the audience for that. So, yeah, like, no, that, that whole scene is just, it's funny it's informative. It kind of gives you a hint at who the murderer might be. Yeah, or at least what road they should go down yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. But anything that Cooper does, I love, really. Like, um, it, yeah, he's a, he's a fan favorite. In the, the same episode, I think it was, Albert shows up, and he's mm. preparing Harry to like deal with Albert, because obviously Cooper knows that Albert is kind of very autistic. Yeah. Extremely, to, like, to the point of like, he just does not care about social standards, and he's just going to say his mind. I swear, the scene where he's talking to Harry about, like, hey, this guy's not like us. He's not super nice all the time. I think there's an outtake in that scene. Left in on purpose, of course. 
an intake. He kind of like pinches Harry's nose and it almost feels like mm-hmm. both actors break character and just start laughing. But it feels mm. like both characters are like, okay, I'm on the same wavelength as you messing around during an outtake. And then like David Lynch or Mark Frost or whoever was present said, I like that scene. It needs to stay in the this, this show because it kind of adds to that weird, like surreal feeling to the show but it also is like a good bonding moment for the two characters like they understand each other mm-hmm. i have an outtake intake as well okay i don't know if you know this and it's another scene between harry and cooper it's the famous alpaca scene when they're at the vet or or maybe they're at the police station and the animals are coming through and then they bringing an alpaca oh yeah in <laughs> In between Harry and Cooper. Yeah, they just kind of look. And the alpaca just looks him in the eye. (laughs) And the strength not to start laughing there. Yeah. Must have been. This is like a pizza on the roof moment from Breaking Bad. Yeah. It's so hard. (laughs) I I have much respect for them not to laugh. And we're in the middle of the conversation. They have a whole other conversation after that. Yeah. And it's a one take. And there's like, for no reason, an alpaca just like walks through the scene. Yeah, well, that's also funny, yeah. <laughs> but that he looks Cooper in the eye, and then they lock eyes for a, for a half a second. You're like, that's really funny. Did that just happened. Yeah, moving on. I love the scene where he's talking with Harry, and he's like, "Give yourself a present every day." Mm. Shelley offers them uh, some free coffee, and then Harry's like, "No, we we really should go off and go do stuff." And then Cooper's just like, "No, man, you got free coffee. Just enjoy it. Just sit down and enjoy life. Sometimes you got to just." stop and and take a moment and give yourself something yeah and and i think that's like another reason why cooper's the best protagonist like he's willingly there he wants to help people he wants to help this poor little town move beyond a murder but he also wants to just experience things and take them in and just like be yeah and 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 it's i think that's a beautiful thing and, and there's too many like grim dark sad boy protagonists who are just like oh i can't stop for a single moment if i stop i die yeah <laughs> and it's just like you know, come on just like i want a relaxed character that just wants a cup of coffee every once in a while and a, a berry berry pie <laughs> they're at the the funeral and everyone's kind of just like sad and stuff and there's the whole thing with leland jumping on the uh yeah it's the worst funeral ever <laughs> I know. This is really funny. Minor aside, I love how the next scene is like two old guys in the diner talking about how Leland jumps onto the the coffin and they're laughing at it. Yeah. Immediately after, I am done laughing at the scene for being (laughs) so ridiculous. Yeah. But anyway, like I noticed that pretty much right after uh, Audrey's like, oh, I like this Cooper guy. He's so dreamy. And then immediately she just slicks her hair back. And that's the only time she ever does that. Mm. And it's it's like, I don't know if that was just a random coincidence or someone on the show was like, we want to show that she's trying to mirror Cooper and like figure out what's going on. Because she also uh, wants to do some detective work. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it feels like it might have been like a, a hint at like, okay, she's trying to readjust her life she doesn't want to just fuck around anymore she wants to actually do something since she's infatuated with this guy she wants to mirror him and be like him mm. but again that could be me reading into to nothing so yeah i mean and there's a lot of things like that where is it yeah was that intentional or was it not speaking of that 
So do you know where Bob comes from, like behind the scenes, the character where he comes from? Have you heard about this? No, I have not. I think when Sarah has her first dream, Laura's mother, there's, <laughs> there's a mirror in the shot and it accidentally showed one of the crew members, which is like a sound recorder guy or something. Okay. And they kept that in. And that guy <laughs> be- became Bob because, as Lee David Lynch says it, like they asked yeah. the guy, is he an actor on the side? And of course he's an actor. He's from Los Angeles. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everyone's an actor. Yeah. So that guy just became Bob. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Because he was accidentally in, in the shot. Well, it's just like, you're you're already in the show. Uh, uh, can you act? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and it's like, uh, so that's why your uh, intake, outtake idea might be accurate, because he does like to keep in these happy accidents. But, yeah. But not just for fun. He, like, builds on them. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen too much of David Lynch's oeuvre, but, like, from what I have seen, he does have a clear idea of what he wants to do. But sometimes there are moments uh, in filmmaking where things aren't quite going the way you want or there's that happy accident kind of thing. And Hmm. instead of being like a George Lucas kind of character and just saying, no, we got to get rid of that. No, we got to fix it. Got to fix it. Got to fix it. Got to fix it. David Lynch goes, art comes from a messy place. How do I expand on that? How do I make that part of the art now? Yeah. Despite what a lot of people say, he does have a a meaning behind everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. E- even the guy doing the wave in the high school. <laughs> I have an idea. Or Ben about... and Jerry eating a baguette. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but he really doesn't want to tell you what to think. He wants to have your interpretation of things. Yeah, and, and I think that's kind of why I appreciate David Lynch as a person, because I'm kind of the same way when I make my art as well. It's just like, it does have a meaning for me. I want to elicit certain feelings for the audience. But if you bring your own interpretation, that's fantastic. I love that. Yeah. That's like, you're also part of the art as well. It's not just me yelling my interpretation at you. It's more of like presenting something. And if you see what I see, that's cool. But if you see something else, I think that's even cooler. Mm. That's why I, I kind of liked Twin Peaks being a, a little vague on some stuff too. Is is like it allows the audience to engage with the show mm. on a way that other shows don't allow. So like if you're watching just a straightforward drama, it's just a straightforward drama. What is happening on screen? What is being said? Is just what is. And instead of allowing something more vague and surreal to kind of let the audience kind of really engage with the material at hand at some point i stopped caring about the mystery part of it and i was just enjoying separate kind of individual scenes that build on previous scenes that kind of make me think about something there's a lot of stuff about expanding on that kind of stuff the mystery like i have like three books and i'm sorry if you're a person who gave me that for Christmas. Uh, you're listening to this, but I just don't give a <laughs> shit. I just don't care. <laughs> I don't care, like, what extra material you come up with that to explain this and that. I just like to wonder for myself. Yeah, exactly. And then there's, like, the piles of donuts everywhere. Oh, yeah. Constantly. They, they, whenever they like, investigating a crime scene, they do not stop eating donuts, like, even to take a breath. Yeah. Yeah, there's one scene where Cooper, do we have any more donuts? And and Andy, the sad cop, is like, 
no. And he's like, get more donuts. Yeah. My favorite <laughs> thing is that they're like, I don't know where they are, but they're like looking for clues or dusting oh. for fingerprints. Yeah, yeah, they're uh, in Jacques' apartment, I think. Okay. Uh, Cooper just yeah. finished the donut. They pan up to him. He, and because we follow the guy with donuts into the room, he just gets another donut like straight away. <laughs> like he just finished one. <laughs> yeah. It's like another donut. And I think the same scene, everyone is wearing like the those gloves where you like you don't contaminate the scene. Mm. But then they're eating donuts <laughs> yeah. with those gloves on. Yeah. I can find a lot of donut particles around. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then like every time they're investigating, there's like boxes of donuts everywhere. And then like sometimes the donuts are like pulled out of the box and they're like displayed very neatly <laughs> and stacked like up to four donuts. And then they're grouped by the type of donut. Like, this is something that my <laughs> autistic brain would do. Like, this is stuff that I do yeah. regularly. And by the way, I want to say that, you know, I do think that this TV show is a result of autism. But I say that with the utmost love and appreciation for that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I think David Lynch is very clearly autistic. I don't think he was ever told or diagnosed. <laughs> yeah, like, there, there's a lot of, like, subtle things, like the donuts being stacked like that. Yeah. Um, there are some scenes that are kind of repetitious almost, mm -hmm. but like in a hypnotic way where yeah. it's just like, it doesn't need to be that, like you don't need to repeat that, but that's just something that typical autistic brains will do is like sometimes they'll, like I do this, I know I've done this in uh, in our conversation a couple times, uh, is I'll, I'll say the same thing kind of twice, mm -hmm. not because I don't think you've heard it, but because just like I need to say it like a couple times for me to go okay this is left by brain now i don't know if it comes up in this season but he clearly has a sensitivity to harsh lights and loud mm. sounds yeah can't think of any singular event in season one but it comes up a lot in the revival and even in the movie even gunshots are quiet and typically at least in american shows gunshots are like big loud like Ooh, I, I love my guns. Kabang! It's interesting because it does come up later in, in the movie and the revival season. Maybe season two. I can't remember specifically. But he does use it and he kind of showcases his annoyance with loudness and harsh lights. Like, in terms of that there's going to be harsh lights and annoying loudness to kind of explore something. But I guess we'll get mm -hmm. into that. I just, I just really like... I think David Lynch... He's autistic, and I think his special interest is art, which is like a really cool thing. He's one of the coolest person alive. Cooper does this a lot. I don't know if you picked up. Oftentimes when he's eating a donut, he pulls it apart. Mm -hmm. And he kind of just like breaks it apart very like methodically and meticulously. And then he like places it neatly down, and then he starts eating it. Yeah. There's a few scenes where he's just eating a donut straight up, but like he very frequently will just break a donut apart and he's not the only character that does that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then uh, there's a lot of uh, characters who will just like like the love rhombus is in the uh the diner and they order uh because they, they're meeting up with laura's cousin and yeah. they're like hey can i get you something and she's like yeah i want a cherry coke so they go get the coke bring it back and just kind of like set it there and then they talk about Laura for like 30 seconds and then they leave and the cousin doesn't drink anything from it. Yeah, I think that was um, supposed to show that uh, she's also curious about this or intrigued about this murder and wants to get involved. That she was kind of yeah. uh, not focusing on things. 
but that's a very autistic trait mm-hmm. is like I'll, I'll do this too whereas it's just like i'm having a thought i make my coffee and then i walk away because i okay this thought i need to like enact on it because if i let go of it it's a kind of an adhd thing too i guess uh, a, a non-neurotypical i guess what do you think about the famous red room scene famous dream scene. oh yeah yeah we can we can get into that if the tibet in the woods made me laugh then yeah the, then the red room is just had my jaw on the floor about like how many ways my mind were going about it yeah because like the the red room scene has been parodied so many times in so many other shows that oh, like yeah. i've already kind of like absorbed it culturally chief wiggum I'm not following you. Burns is huge. Burns is huge. Huh? Look at Burns' suit. Yeah. <laughs> what was That's it? exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. But so I was kind of prepared for like, okay, this is going to be really weird. This is going to be like the weirdest part of the show. And I was surprised at how subtle it was. Mm. Because up until that point, like, okay, so like, it's not subtle because it's like literally a dwarf singing backwards and dancing backwards and then they're like playing that back in reverse so it comes off forward yeah let's rock yeah clearly uh cooper in old makeup but like up until that point everything had been like really over the top silly and then then there's this scene where it's just like it's not just weird or over the top it's like i don't know it's like a dream literally feels like a yeah. dream you or I would have. Like, it, it's mundane enough that it's an, a, a typical experience you might have, but it's surreal because it is a dream. Talking about weird coincidences again, with like Bob and, and that kind of stuff. So David Lynch already had this idea of recording reversed speech, reversed talk, <laughs> and then playing it in reverse. So it, you can understand it, but it sounds a bit weird. And the dwarf guy who plays... Um, the dwarf guy. Yeah, I don't think he has a name. He was like a champion in talking backwards or something by a complete accident. It's just these weird things that like align. It's so weird. He was like teaching a course on how to talk backwards. It's so weird. That's cool. Yeah, I know, right? So he was teaching all the cast how to do it. But yeah, like that that scene is pretty genius because like it sets up Laura's cousin Mm. Instantly, like, look at my cousin. She looks just exactly like Laura, which is like a very common soap opera trope of like, oh, we killed off this character, but we want the actor back. The cousin looks exactly like the character. So that kind of sets up the scenes later where they trick Dr. Jacoby into thinking Laura's still alive or something's weird's happening at least. So they kind of set that up. And then they basically almost give you who the, the, the murderer is. I love that. Um, I love that uh, cliffhanger, and then the next episode where Cooper explains the dream, and he's like, Laura whispered the name of the murderer into my ear. Who was it? I don't remember. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah, just like a real dream, like where you just don't remember details. It's a little bit of an audience cock tease, too, where it's just like, they set up everything, kind of like tee you up for the back half of season one. And then Laura, uh, the, or at least Dream Laura, goes up to Cooper and she's like, 
I'm going to tell you who murdered me, but then the audience doesn't get to hear that. And then Cooper's just like, yes, this can't wait till morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just completely deflates the, the cliffhanger. What do you think about the, the little clues that the guy says? There's music in the air where I'm from. Uh, oh, yeah. Your favorite gong is coming back in style. Yeah, that was the first thing that I had to like really think about because up until that point, I kind of caught on. Some of the dialogue is just making fun of soap operas, so we don't need to necessarily like strictly keep that information in our heads. And then like a lot of unraveling of the mystery is very not necessarily straightforward, but like if you're looking at the TV, you should be able to like piece it together. Yeah, pretty easily. But then that's the first scene where it's like, okay. You now have to think. <laughs> like, you have to engage this scene. And if you don't, you have no idea what's going on. Mm. But the music was kind of like an indication of, like, where Laura was when she died. What kind of noise was happening. Mm. Especially with the bird that sings. I love that. That literal, like, oh, this bird's gonna sing. Better kill it. <laughs> and it's literally a bird. <laughs> Speaking of Maddie, by the way, and cousins, that's another fun fact which is mm. Cheryl Lee was not supposed to be acting other than flashbacks or that video that Laura has. Uh, she was just supposed to be the, a cadaver. Oh. But David Lynch liked her so much that they made her into a character. Okay, that's kind of cool. That's where the whole cousin angle comes from. And she, it's weird how she didn't have a great career after this because she has, she acts her heart out in later seasons. Well, that's a little unfortunate, but... Yeah. She has one of the best screams as well. There, there are tons of scenes where the, the genre changes, like, from drama to cop detective show to, like, straight-up comedy. And you can kind of tell when a, a certain genre is playing or, or a certain genre is, like, happening when the music is, like, the schmarmy, lovey-dovey music that's, like, that's the drama scene. Yeah. And then there's the gumshoe kind of, like, snap-your-fingers music. <laughs> and that that's the, someone doing detective work. Yeah. So, the music is fabulous. I, yeah. I love how bland it is. It's not bad. I wouldn't describe it as bad. Mm-hmm. But, like, it, it is very, like, obvious, like, this is the love music. This is the, oh, yeah. the detective music. I think the genius of it is how it flows together. Because oh, if, yeah. if you just yeah. listen to like Laura's theme, which is the kind of the sad lovey-dovey music that they put on mm-hmm. a lot of times, the very slow. Yeah. That turns into like a super dark kind of horror music almost. I think the genius of it is the transitions. I just like Lucy. Her character, she's adorable. She's sincere. She wants to help out, but she clearly doesn't know how. Yeah, she reads about Tibet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's like, oh, this dream is super cool. And she's like writing down all the notes. And then she's reading about Tibet later. And then, yeah, she's set up to be this simple character. But at the end, she does something very smart. She overhears something and pretends to type and actually types the conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I love how she like walks up to Cooper and she's like explaining. And Cooper's just like, just just tell me. Just stop explaining. Just tell me. (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned the words Audrey's dance. 
she has her own score, her dance, and it is called Audrey's really? Dance. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. That's interesting. Like, she starts the dance with the Norwegians in the first episode, but you don't see the full dance, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of just cuts away, and then later the Norwegians are all leaving, and like... <laughs> I wrote down, ding, 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 the Norwegians are leaving. Because, like, everyone's shouting that the Norwegians are gone. Yeah. But then there's later, in, I think she's in the the diner. She just walks in, puts on some music, and then does the weird Audrey dance. Yeah. It's almost hypnotic. Because, like, the rest of the, the restaurant is just kind of, like, staring at her. Like, what's, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And then she's just doing this dance. And she's yeah. enjoying herself. Yeah, and it's just like whenever she does that dance, stuff happens. Like mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily directly in that scene, but like stuff is currently progressing the plot when she's doing that dance. And I love that that she is the only one who knows about like the, all of the hidden like tunnels in the lodge where the Great Northern. Yeah. She's just like sneaking off to like run around in the walls and stuff and, and spying on people. And Probably explored when she was a kid. I watched a guy who was going through those filming locations on Twin Peaks and yeah, a lot of that was just already in there. Especially the the Great Northern sets inside <laughs> and all, all that um, traditional art. Yeah, I was going to say, because that's, that's very traditional Salish art and you kind of see that not necessarily everywhere, but it's pretty common here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it did feel like something that would just be in that particular lodge rather than something like a, a set designer wanted to like throw up. Um, and same thing with the totem pole and, and uh, some of the uh, establishing shots. I, I am by no means an expert on those things. My skin is white, but... What? You never told me this. I, I did grow up around native uh, tribes, and in my hometown there are several totem poles. And it, yeah, it's, it feels pretty legit. So mm-hmm. it seems like they just went to a location that happened to have the art there and it happened to have the totem pole there and just went hey this is uh very very twin peaksy let's leave it i don't know i just want to mention a few weird side characters like the german waitress who whose laugh is very annoying oh god do you remember that <laughs> vaguely it's like there's lots of little things like that where it's just like a weird character uh, yeah just a weird side character just just like there yeah the casino scene, we can talk a little bit more about that. The Their disguises. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, when they're getting ready, Cooper shows up, and, and my immediate thought is, like, you look like Sterling Archer from the show Archer. Yeah. Because he's got his little tuxedo on, and his hair's slicked back and stuff like that. And then Ed shows up, and he's just wearing a cowboy suit, essentially. Ed looks like a porno producer from the 70s. Uh, kind of, yeah, especially with the, the mustache. Yeah, the fake mustache, yeah. I love in that scene. It's so silly, but I love it. It's like they're talking to Blackie, which is the, the, oh, yeah. the, yeah, the pimp, the, I guess. The head lady there. Yeah, and he's like, so what do you do? I run an oil rig. Cooper is like, uh, outboots him and he's like, oh, I'm a dental surgeon. But like, <laughs> why? Uh, uh, so, uh, that that little scene makes so much yeah. no sense. Why can't he say he owns an oil rig? That's a rich person thing. And Yeah, yeah. Oh, like... <laughs> and then he quickly changes his story and Blackie seems pleased. Oh yeah, that makes sense that you just said a different thing. <laughs> yeah, ago. she just like rolls with it. <laughs> yeah, and Cooper even says like, "Good job, Ed." Like, no, it's not a good job. Yeah. <laughs> That's clearly you covering yourself up. Like, what? A- Come on! And then Cooper's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. his disguise is just glasses. 
That's it. Yeah. Why do they even need this, guys? Are they, like, that well-known? The uh, opening credits, they show the, the sign for Twin Peaks, and they say it's, like, a town of 58,000 people. Mm-hmm. Which is not a small town for this area. Would it be reasonable for, for like, a handful of people to recognize him in the, the, the sheriff's office? And that's it. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I think it's hilarious that a town of 58,000 people only has a sheriff's office. Yeah. Because, like... My town that I'm from has like maybe I think like two thousand people total, and there's like two police stations, and then a sheriff's office. Yeah, like cops are everywhere here. But yeah, like Cooper didn't need to disguise at all. Like especially because they went across the border. They're in Canada. It's like no one really wouldn't know him. He did a Clark Kent. Just put on some glasses. No one will know you. Yeah. I mean, like N probably could have gotten away with not putting a disguise on either. No. Again, they're in Canada. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're right. It is like 58,000 people. It does feel a lot smaller than that because there's so many people and they know each other. Yeah, the way that the show portrays the town, it feels more like an area where my mom lives currently out in the middle of bumfuck nowhere, mm. uh, where it'd be like maybe a few hundred people in the town, which mm-hmm. would make more sense to having just a sheriff's office. But the town I'm currently in has 88,000 and it's just like, it's not a small town. It's pretty easy for me to just like walk around and never recognize anyone daily. Like I could go yeah. downtown on today, like on a Saturday, and then I can go downtown again tomorrow and not see the same people like at all. I've got something for you to think about a little bit. Okay, yeah. There's a German word, Zeitgeist. Oh, Zeitgeist, yeah. The ghost of our times. Yeah, which is, I think, is the theme for Twin Peaks. Okay. Every major event before it happens or major revelation, you can see the windswept land. Oh, yeah, the, the changing of the winds and, and the things are kind of like winds. getting stirred up. Yeah. Even the guy in the high school doing the wave, I think, is related to that. Yeah. I think the floor in the red room, which is all zigzaggy, is related to that. Yeah, yeah. And even, okay, yeah. even Twin Peaks, if you see the Twin Peaks, you know, the sign, which has the Twin Peaks, yeah. it kind of looks like a wavy line. So, you know, it's something okay. for you to think about going into season two and three. It's the wind and the zeitgeist and the wavy lines. Yeah, I'll have to definitely keep that in mind because, like, it is windy here. That's the one thing that people don't understand. It's like, oh, it's Washington, it's raining. It's like, no, 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 no. We don't get rain. Not like the UK or even, like, Texas gets rain. Mm-hmm. It's more like a dense fog. What we have is wind and a lot of it. Mm-hmm. At first, I was just kind of taking those shots of like, oh, it's just they happen to have a windy day. But you mentioning that, that that's like the, the sign of something is happening. The winds are changing. The general feel of, of the show is doing something that you should be paying attention to. So, yeah, yeah. In retrospect, that that definitely makes sense. I think it's a symbolism that you might want to keep in mind for the future to get more out of the show. There's actually a couple scenes that I can think of right now where there's a big revelation about like, oh, so-and-so is actually here at this time. We should go talk to them. And then like there's an establishing shot of a, a big Douglas fir kind of waving in the wind. Yeah, Cooper being so enamored with it. And it's just like, wow, a Douglas fir. <laughs> 
I don't have any other notes other than I really, really like this show, and I'm glad you you told me to watch it. Yeah, I'm really glad you like it. It's a, certainly a an acquired taste by today's standards. Oh, for sure, yeah. When you appreciate art and filmmaking, and filmmaking, this is the first TV show that looks like a film. The lighting is even, but the cinematography yeah. itself and the camera movements are very cinematic. Yeah. So if you appreciate the filmmaking, this is, you know, a TV show worth checking out. Exactly. And if you love a good laugh every once in a while and maybe a good tense moment at the same time, I highly recommend it. If your name isn't Rick, you should watch the show. <laughs> oh, well, I have you to appreciate art. <laughs> so season one is eight episodes season two <laughs> is 22 fucking episodes <laughs> which is what i was expecting for season one yeah yeah um i'm not sure how it turned out like this i know it was like a sudden popularity show they didn't quite know what to do with it <laughs> at first they almost made it into a movie there's like a movie version somewhere okay so yeah they just didn't know what to do with it, and it was suddenly too popular, so... Yeah, milk it. My, my guide for you to watch season two. Up until the half is pretty good. Up until the reveal. Okay. Even, like, some of the best stuff. And then, watch it in the background. Up until the last episode. Okay. Like, there's some stuff that just goes fucking nowhere. Like, absolutely nowhere, and you miss nothing by not watching it. Any scenes with James, pretty much... James. James has the worst story. I hate his dumb face. <laughs> he looks like a bulldog. Like, he's got that <laughs> thick neck and, like, the broad shoulders, and he, like, looks like he's hunched over when he's standing straight. Pay attention to the last episode, because David Lynch comes back for, like, the, one of the best episodes on TV ever. Okay. And then after that, we watch the film, Firewalk With Me, and then the revival season. Yeah. Thank you for listening to our ramblings. Yeah, thank you. We'll be back for season two. Boo Rick. Boo Rick. He's fired. Ha <laughs> <laughs>